Listen, we're going to continue in the theme of worship um, as we begin our time together today. And I want to do that by reading from Colossians chapter 1. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 of who Jesus is. And so let me read from Colossians 1, starting in verse 13. The Bible says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the visible image, or the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. And if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. And listen, as I said, in the vein of worship, I want us to begin today understanding that we here at FBN, we worship the king of the universe. His name is Jesus. He is alive. He is well. He is real. He's more than just a man. He is the fullness and the image of God. And through his life and death and resurrection on earth, all who would believe in him and decide in their hearts to follow him as their king, that they are reconciled to the God that they have been estranged from because of sin. Sin is real. We all have it. There's no cure for it other than the precious blood of Jesus. He's the reason we gather. He's the reason we sing. He's the reason we sit under the teaching of his word. He's the reason we serve one another. And he is the reason we fight for peace for one another. He's the reason for all of it. And I don't know what condition you walked into this room today in. You might be here and this is just what you do on Sundays. This is just your routine. And listen, I'm glad for that. That routine is good. It's sacred. Keep that. Maybe you're here and you came in and you have a chip on your shoulder. You're frustrated, bad day at work, bad day at, you know, uh, uh, I was going to say school, but it's summer, you know, bad day uh, um, with the family, you know, the kids, whatever it might be, you have a chip on your shoulder. Maybe even for you to walk into this ministry, there's hangups here, there's people here that you have a hard time with. I don't know what it is. Whatever your condition today, let's set aside each and every distraction. Let's set aside every worry, every frustration, everything that might hinder our acknowledgement of Jesus Christ. Listen, all of that stuff will be for you there in an hour, right? If you can set it aside for just a moment, you can go back to it. I hope you don't, but you can go back. But for today, let us just center ourselves on the power and grace and the beautiful character of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and let that carry us through. So let's pray together for this, and then we'll join in the word. Our God, thank you so much for just your character, for the way that Jesus is who he is. And God, I pray that today we would just worship him for for no other reason than just because of who he is. Certainly, he does so much for us. Certainly, there's things that we want to do in response to him. Most of all, his character is beautiful, and his power is supreme, and we're in awe. I pray that today would be anything... It would be nothing less than a time for us to be impressed together 
by the beauty of Jesus. Would you do that work in us today and through your word? In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you so much for being here. And listen, with hearts aligned and in worship, we want to welcome you here today at FBN. By the way, can we give our worship team a hand for just leading us today? We're so grateful for them and just their constant uh, leadership to us uh, in worship. Um, but listen, if you're here today, I want to welcome you. Um, if you're new to FBN, then uh, a special welcome to you because we know how hard it is to just walk into a new place, uh, to not really know what your experience is going to be like. So thank you for joining us. And um, if you would allow us the pleasure of getting to know you, uh, there's Connect cards around you that you could fill out and you could just drop it at the Connect desk out here, out these doors. Um, uh, we'd love to just get to know you um, at a convenient rate to you, right? We're not going to bombard you. We also have a gift for you if this is your first time here. But I also want to say a very special thank you to, to you regulars, the many of you who are here all the time. You prioritize worship. This is something that you love, something that you crave, something that we can almost bet you're going to be here. The practice of prioritizing worship, the practice of worship with the collective of God's people, it is meaningful, it is enriching, and it does more for us than we could ever possibly imagine. Right? And so, uh, uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for making that discipline in your lives and in your families for that routine, because that routine of worshiping together, it's an anchor point in the faith. And for those who fall out of that routine, as the scriptures say, they, they make themselves more vulnerable to a greater threat than the occasional unimpressive Sunday morning, right? And we have those, don't we? Probably more than we should. But sometimes we just have Sundays that aren't very impressive. And I'll, I'll go ahead and say the ingredients are there for this Sunday as well. First of all, I'm preaching. So that's a little more unimpressive, right? Um, but also what we're doing today in Mark chapter 6 is looking at a very familiar story. If you grew up in the church, you've heard about Jesus feeding the 5,000 lots of times. And so the more familiar the story is, the more likely it is that we might just become detached from it. But I do pray that today we would use this very familiar story to focus in on the impressive nature of our Savior as we ask really just this simple question, what does this story tell us about the character of Jesus? And so that's what's going to drive our time together today as we look at Jesus feeding the 5,000 and their families with a few fish and a few uh, bread loaves. And so I want to invite Brooke Hogan up, who's going to lead us uh, in a time of reading the scriptures. This is page 893 in the Black Bibles around you, if you're going to use those. Mark chapter 6, verses 35 through 44. And if you could, in honor of reading God's word, would you stand? Good morning, Brooke. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. 
The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Awesome. Thank you. You can have a seat. Just a quick contextual note there. Uh, the number of men that ate were 5,000, right? That's not counting their wives and families and on and on. So thousands of people here. This is far from any ordinary miracle uh, that Jesus executed here uh, in the feeding um, of the 5,000 plus uh, the family members. And so we're going to look at it. But as I said, we're going to look at the character of Christ that pours through it, pours through the details of it. And the first thing I want us to just take note of is simply this, and it's that his goodness is layers deep, layers and layers and layers deep. Um, I did think about using the word multangular, like from multiple angles, because that's a real word. But I'm in, the, I'm in the mode of like making up words that you think are made up, but they're actually real. I'm not gonna use that though today. We're just gonna use the word layers. This is multi-layered, right? His goodness goes deep. One of the things that Pastor Brett talked about last week uh, was Jesus' heart for development. Right? He had these disciples, and even within the disciples, he had the three, and he just had this heart to grow and to develop his disciples. The word we use for this, by the way, is discipleship. He wanted to develop these men into the men that they needed to be to establish the early church, which is what God wanted for them. And this heart of development continues into the story that we read today. As we read through it, you'll notice that it almost seems like the disciples are the focal point, not the crowds. It almost seems like the disciples are the main, uh, the main people being taught and developed here, not the crowds. And so let's read uh, a portion of it together, just the first few verses, starting in verse 35. Now, when it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted and it is already late. Send them away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. They said to him, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? We'll stop there for a moment. Now, remember the context of this story. Uh, uh, the crowds have gathered, right? And Jesus sees them, verse 34, he sees them with compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd and he begins to teach them many things. So this is one of those scenarios where they must be in just a big field or next to the sea somewhere and he's teaching thousands and they're grouped up so that they can somehow hear his word. Right? And it comes a time where it's late, the place is deserted, there's no food around, but people are hungry. And their needs might, I mean, they might actually be feel like really hungry, not like our kind of hungry, but they've traveled there, they've been in the heat, and they're hungry, right? They actually need food. Now, one of the tendencies that we have, uh, I think, as just people, um, is that we have a very easy time missing out on the layers of God's goodness because we find it difficult to trust Him through what's on the surface. That surface layer, right? If we could just trust him through there, we might discover uh, uh, layers of his goodness beneath that surface layer. And sometimes that surface layer is pretty thick. There's a lot of things that are confusing. For example, in this story, the surface layer, think about it. There's no food around. They're in a deserted place. It's late. Who knows if they would even be able to find food, let alone to actually go and buy food for everyone would be super expensive. Like, you can't do this. They, the, the disciples respond sarcastically. You want us to spend 200 denarii to go find, uh, uh, buy bread for everyone, right? One denarii was a day's wage of work. So 200 is 200 days worth. I mean, that's very, very expensive. They're being sarcastic. Like, Jesus, you really want us to go just buy tons of bread for everyone here? They can't see through the surface level. 
They can't see through the surface layer. But if you look closely at the story, and we have the privilege of seeing it from a bird's eye view, then we know what Jesus is up to. We know what he wants to do, right? For them to get through this surface layer would mean thousands of people will have, will have the food that they need, right? That Jesus will be able to unleash his compassion on thousands of people. And that's just one layer of just meeting the physical need. Not only that, but in John's account of this story, we read that the people, through this miracle, that the crowds began to understand that something is deeper about Jesus. He's not just a cool guy, right? They actually come to the conclusion that he must be more. He must be a prophet, and we know that he's even more than that. So that's another layer. There's another layer here, too, of just the disciples having this continued level of development. I mean, this one lesson among many lessons that Jesus taught his disciples, this is another lesson that fortifies who these men are in Christ and readies them for the very difficult and awesome mission of establishing the church. This is a lesson that that Jesus gives them that will carry with them. They don't respond to it perfectly, but they'll remember it. Right? In the same way that you have been taught vital lessons that carry with you through your life. And so you see, the layers are deep. But in order to get to those layers of what God really, really wants to do, you've got to be able to peek through the surface layer of just, it doesn't really look fitting, this doesn't look possible, right? What the disciples were sarcastically resisting. Jesus knew the immense goodness that he wanted to display to everyone through the experience. He wanted to develop his beloved disciples for ongoing ministry impact. He wanted to pour compassion on the crowd and ready them for, uh, to truly receive him when the day comes. Makes us wonder, how often do we resist what God might be leading in us because we're stuck in the surface layer of things? When just beneath are layers upon layers of goodness, ready to be released in our lives and other people's lives, as if we can trust him through what's on the surface. I think one of the reasons that we have a hard time with this is because we have a hard time trusting that God is really a generous, kind, loving God, right? There's a lot of people, even in our lives and in our midst, who the picture that they portray of God is not generous and kind, but is judgmental and harsh and critical, and it's just constantly looking for you to misstep. This is not God. That's just not. And if somebody has given you that perception of God, I'm sorry, because that's probably led to some church hurt and some frustration for you spiritually. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 17, that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. In Psalm 104, verse 28, talking about giving people food, literally. When you give it to them, they gather it. And when you open your hand, God, they are satisfied with good things. See, at the depth of God's character is a wellspring of eternal kindness and generosity for those who worship him and for those who would receive his son, Jesus. And his goodness is made available to all. He loves all, but only through Jesus do we become aware to it and live in it. Apart from Jesus, we remain blind and ignorant to it all. And I want to go and just say here, even though our focus this morning is the character of Jesus Christ, that if you've been living life unaware of God's loving goodness, if it's been hard for you to find, it's not because he's not good. 
And I say this with compassion because I know that life is difficult, um, that we're not all born into the families we want to be born into, that life doesn't just give us everything that we could possibly want for comfort and peace and rest. And so there's, the surface layer is very thick for a lot of people. And we are empathetic to that. And, and many of you know that reality, but you must trust God through it because beneath it, you can be sure that his character is good and loving. And so for many of us, we're just stuck in the surface layer. And there's many more, honestly, who they have a struggle with this as well because they actually do go deep. They try to go as deep within themselves as they can. And yet there is not the love of Christ abiding in their hearts, the love of Christ that leads to salvation. And so the deeper they look, the more void they feel and the more empty they become until they invite Jesus Christ to fill it all. And he's the only one that can. And even more surprisingly to many people, he desperately wants to. He really, really wants to. He wants to fill every crack in your heart. He wants to heal every wound that you've endured. He wants to satisfy your every longing. And only he can. So that's the first character trait that we want to acknowledge today. But the second is this. It's that his provision... (laughs) His provision is completely satisfying. He does nothing halfway, right? His goodness is multi-layered, if we could trust him through the surface layer. But man, his provision is completely satisfying. Look with me at verse 38, reading through the rest of our passage. He asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. Then he instructed them to have all of the people sit down in groups on the green grass, And so they sat down in the groups of hundreds and fifties, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was satisfied. It's a really good verse. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Not only did everybody eat and was satisfied, but there was plenty left over. Verse 44, now those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men, thousands of people. I love that verse, right? Verse 43, everyone ate and was satisfied. I also think it's very cool for the disciples' development that Jesus broke it, blessed it, and then he gave it to his disciples to give to others. You see, he he had the disciples in, in full focus, and he was giving them something here, something that was pure and good and, and would last with them. People were fed, they were satisfied, and he invited his disciples into that work, and there was more left over. When was the last time Jesus did a miracle halfway, by the way? Right? The man with the shriveled hand, he only healed one finger, or did he heal the whole thing? The crippled man, did he heal both legs or just one? The blind man, same thing. Both eyes or just one? He's not in the business of half-heartedness. That's our business. That's not his. When he acts, he acts fully. He brings all good works to completion. This is the promise of his scripture. And it's the theological play out of his holiness. He cannot and will not give way to partiality. He does not change. And his promise of salvation for the upright and judgment for the wicked, these will always stand because he is holy, which is why apart from Jesus, there is no salvation. There is no halfway there. There is no almost there religion There are those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, and there are those who aren't. He is that exclusive. 
In John chapter 14, verse 6, he says this. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one knows God except through Jesus Christ. Right? He is not the half-hearted one. We are the half-hearted ones. We insist on being half in and half out to claim Christ when it's convenient, but to drop it if there's something better promised on the surface layer. Half-heartedness is a sign of partial love. I know that cuts us to the core because we don't want to think about it that way, but how else is there to think about it? We love Jesus partially, and so we embrace him partially, but we keep aside different compartments of our lives for ourselves, and this just doesn't work. This just does not work. It does not work for him. You could fool anybody on this planet, but it does not work for him. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says this, No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money is the context of this passage. Fill in the blank, though. You cannot serve both God and fill in the blank. What's your thing? And if you try to live life one foot in one and one foot in the other, the result is that you have no devotion to either. Matthew chapter 12, verse 30 says this, anyone who is not with me is against me, Jesus says. And anyone who does not gather with me scatters. He really is that exclusive. He really is the only way. And you could be offended by this or you could believe in him and receive it all. Thank God, by the way, he's not like us, right? When he feeds, he fills and he satisfies. He acts When he acts, he acts fully. When he loves, he loves completely. When he went to the cross, he died completely. And he suffered immensely. And now the salvation that he offers to everyone, it is total. It is comprehensive. It is all the way. And his grace is overflowing. Overflowing. Yes, he is perfectly holy. And yes, we are incomplete and half-hearted. But because of his abundance... Our disparity is filled by his total incomprehensive grace. Romans chapter 5, verses 20 and 21 just says it perfectly. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. Man, I love that. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. When he provides, he provides all the way. In his time, by the way, sometimes there is a waiting process for this, but he always will see it through to completion. And this leads us to our kind of last character trait that we want to acknowledge here, and it's just simply his grace, but not just merely his grace, just the overwhelming nature of his grace that pretty much defines most of what his character is. Because he is so desperate for people. He is so for you, and he so wants you. And I'm sure through this experience, the disciples were pretty impressed by this miracle. I'm sure everybody was. The disciples, the crowds, you know, there was, how are you going to be not impressed in the natural world to see this happen, right? A few fish and a few loaves and, and, and thousands of people are fed. That's crazy. But as deep as you would hope that that miracle would go in their hearts, I'm afraid the experience didn't go as deep as we would have hoped. Because next week, what we're going to look at is another miracle, And this miracle is similar to one before. It takes place on a boat in a sea with a storm, right? We've seen this before. The disciples are filled with fear, and Jesus walks on the water, and then he gets into the boat, and then he calms the storm, 
and that we read in Mark chapter 6, if you want to jump ahead, just a few, like maybe a page, verses 51 and 52, this is what goes on. It says, then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were completely astounded. Why were they astounded? Verse 52, because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. Now, why in the world would you do this whole miracle, and then there's this whole other thing on the boat, you know, in the water and all that kind of stuff, and then at the backside of that water, when the disciples are astounded and filled with fear, and they don't understand it, would there be the shout back to this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000? They haven't understood it yet, right? Why, why the shout back? We'll talk about that in just a second, but also I want you to notice that there's something else going on in these men. In verse 52, it says that they didn't understand about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened. Now, what this means, you know, in the Greek, the the word heart is cardia, which we get cardiology from, and it is your middle. It is your center. It's not merely your, your, your beating heart, uh, especially for, uh, for the people of Bible times. This was your inner self. This was who you truly were. It's your thoughts. It's your heart. It's your desires. It's the collective of, of it all. It's not just your feelings. It is your inner person. And that inner person can become hardened. Or in the Greek, it's paroo. It's, it's this callousness. It's this petrification is what it means. You think about anything that's been calloused or petrified. At one point in time, it was alive. Right, the calluses on my hand used to be live skin. Now it's hard, dead skin. Right? I remember being on the beaches in Texas when I was growing up, and petrified wood would just wash up onto the shore. And it was just—it was wood, but as hard as a rock because it had been underwater for so long that the minerals had replaced all the other stuff. I don't know the chemo- chemistry of it all, but it comes out—it's just like hard wood. At one point in time, it was a living branch. What is this hardening that happens? I heard one pastor say that this hardening happens most when people encounter Jesus over and over and over again and yet are unresponsive as a result. That is the hardening process. You think about Pharaoh who encountered the power of God. You think about any church person who has sat in a pew for for 30, 40, 50 years, unresponsive, holding on to their pride. These are the hardest people that you will ever meet. They are the hardest people. But I think one of the mistakes that we make is that we think the hardening comes later. Like their hearts were hardened, and so, wow, like I can't believe that these disciples would see all these miracles, and yet they would harden their heart towards God as if they made this big overt decision. Like, God, I see you, I see what you're doing, and I'm not going to believe. It wasn't that way. What they were doing was responding out of their default position. And you, in your default position are hardened towards God. As it says in Colossians 1, your default position is an enemy, is rebellion. That's default. These guys were just acting in their default, and we do as well. And it's very easy for for us to retract back to our default, even come after coming to know Jesus as Savior. See, these men didn't connect the dots. They didn't understand the divine and trustworthy nature of Jesus, at least not fully. And so this is the functional condition of most people, to to underestimate who Jesus is. And in this, we often make another mistake and assume that because a uh, a hard heart is our default position, then why is it sin? If I come into this world with, a, de- with a, a default hard heart, then why am I held accountable to that hard heart if I didn't choose it? 
We understand sin to mean merely bad choices and decisions. That's part of the problem. We think sin is just bad behavior, and we forget that bad behavior is, is indicative. It's just a symptom. It's a symptom of the deeper, sinister issue that we all have, and that is the issue of sin. Sin is more than just a bad decision. It is a plague. It is a, it is a disease. It's a spiritual cancer that we have. And you know, almost every religion acknowledges it in some way or the other. It's just we're all scared to use the word sin now. But it's sin. Everyone can see the depravity in the world. It's a mess. And if you look a little deeper, you'll find that you are not the solution to the mess, but you contributing to it. We all contribute to the problem because we all have sin. Which raises a question, if God is so loving, and if this sin is truly a disease, then why does the Bible say that I am in rebellion of God as a result? Why wouldn't he just heal me instead of judging me and condemning me? And if that's your question, that's a really, really good question. It's a very good question, and the answer lies within the question. Because he did heal. He provided a way, and his name is Jesus. John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He made a way. And anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. He has totally made a way for you. He has completely and totally made a way for you. He has healed. He has provided the cure. He has made it as accessible as anything can be made. And so to deny the cure and to shake your fist at him when he's already provided a way, this is rebellion. Your rebellion is not in your material choices of good and evil. Your rebellion is in your disbelief. For those who believe they are healed, they were restored, and they have eternal life in Christ. For those who disbelieve, then they live and die bound to their default state of hard-heartedness and disbelief. See, God sacrificed his beloved son for you. He sacrificed his son for you. I know that's really hard for us to like fathom, right? I had this big, long example that I was going to bring up, but I decided not to because I couldn't get through it without crying. But I have a son, and I can't even imagine killing him for your sake. I wouldn't do it. I'm not that nice. I would not kill my son to save you. God did, right? God did, and he killed his son, Jesus, and so if I had done that with my son, and as he did that with his son for you, and for me to say, thanks, like I'm not against you, but that's for other people, how is he to not take that as rebellion? How is that not an enemy mindset? This is where we are. This is our default. But for those who believe, the grace that he bestows is complete. It's to the brim. It's overflowing. It's comprehensive. It is never ending because of his love for his son. That is now his love for you. Now, Jesus, after feeding the 5,000, you know, he goes and he does this thing where he walks on the water. 
And he has that interchange with the disciples. In John's account, uh, uh, he goes on to teach. And at the beginning of that teaching, he has the loaves still in his mind. Jesus does. And in John chapter 6, verse 21, or 29, he says this. This is the work of God, that you believe in the one that he has sent. That you would believe in Jesus. And then later in verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. No one comes to me. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. This is his promise for those who receive Jesus Christ. This is his promise for those who will receive Jesus into their hearts, which I know is like a churchy thing that we say a lot of times, like VBS and different things like that. It really just means that you have a heart ready to receive him that is humbled and surrendered and confident in the reality of Jesus' life and death for you. That in your inner person, you know that he did what he did for you. That in your inner person, you believe and confess and you're ready to, uh, to pledge your, the allegiance of your life to him as your king and as your savior, through which even the hardest hearts can crumble and even half-heartedness can find a fuller, newer way of going. And at the end of the day, this is what it comes down to. It comes down to your heart and the state of belief that is in your heart. And I could preach to you all day long, and we could set up, you know, the coolest experience here. Ultimately, it comes down to that, and so everything else comes shy. I'm not going to manipulate you into following after Jesus, but if you're here, whatever condition you came into, but you feel the Lord stirring in your heart, that's him, that's not me. And that's him, and that's not this place. That's him with his focus on you, wanting you to humble, to surrender, and to receive his son. In which there is the fullness of life, there is the fullness of joy, there is the fullness of purpose. I can't control that for you, but I do want to give some time for all of us to take into consideration the status of the belief in our hearts towards God. And we've talked a lot about the heart. We've talked about hard-heartedness. People who resist salvation are often hard-hearted people. They hear the truth and they just deny it, and that's that's hard-heartedness. But there's other kinds of hard hearts, right? Anytime we hear the word of God, and and we're just like, yeah, that's cool. I hope so and so gets that, but that's not for me. You know what I mean? We let those mineral deposits sink in, and we become, as it says in the scriptures, those with seared consciences and those with petrified hearts. So your decision towards the Lord is what makes you hard or soft. And there's many of us in here, myself included, who we struggle with half-heartedness, to be honest. Like, like we love the Lord, we say it with our mouths, we try to, you know, spend our time with him in the mornings, but we're distracted, we're flimsy, and he so easily gets the backseat to whatever else is going on in our lives, and then we never confess our half-heartedness. We try to pretend to him still, like, no, I still really love you more than anything. It's just, that was just a bad moment. And then, you know, 2,000 bad moments right after that. But I, I promise, I do love you. You know, it's like, just confess. God, I'm sorry that I have not loved you like I've said. I don't, I'm sorry that I don't love you as much as you deserve. Create this in me. Renew me in this. Soften my heart. Confess it as sin and see what he does with it. Stop trying to ignore it. Stop trying to sugarcoat it and just confess it as sin and let him begin to truly make something new out of that. And so I want to give just at the end of our time, just time for you to bring your heart before the Lord and let him do some surgery. 
Let him do what he needs to do in your heart to soften your heart to him. And if this is your day of salvation, if you've never confessed and believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, today's your day. If you feel him pulling, again, that's him. That's nothing else. That's him and you. All you have to do is say yes. All you have to do is receive. All you have to do is tell him in prayer, in your inner self, I love you. Thank you. I'm sorry for anything I've done to get in the way of our relationship. Save me and forgive me. It's really that simple, but it changes the course of the rest of your life. So let's have some time, all of us, to think about our belief, our hearts, our obedience, and let the Lord do whatever he needs to do in this time. Let's give him a few moments to speak as he wants.
I'd like to uh, invite you to just keep your heads uh, uh, closed, or yeah, your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want to just have a time of prayer for you, um, honestly, and, and for myself as well as we think about the status of our hearts. But I do want to ask, um, and again, I'm not going to call you out or anything like that, but if you're here today and you have in this time made a profession of faith, you've decided to submit your hard heart to the Lord and you want to know Christ as your Savior, uh, not just some guy, but just your Savior, the God of your life, the King of your life. If you've made that decision to follow Him, would you kindly just raise your hand a little bit? I'm not going to call you out. I just want to pray for you. Awesome. I see you. Thank you. Let's have a time of prayer. Our God, thank you so much for the work that you do through the love and power of Jesus Christ. Father, we don't deserve any of it, um, but we are completely impressed by it. For everyone in this room, God, as I pray that as they walk out of these doors today, that um, though we looked at a familiar story and, and we do this kind of ordinarily, God, that there would be nothing ordinary about it, that, that the impact that you have on our hearts would carry beyond uh, these walls. God, that we would take steps of obedience, that we would follow after you, that we would confess the half-heartedness of our love to you, and that you would use all of these as ingredients to forge in us something new and beautiful and more reflective of the character of Jesus. And God, for, uh, for the people in this room who did today make a decision in their hearts to receive you, to follow you, to, uh, uh, to start this relationship with you, I am so thrilled. God, we praise your name for this, and we know that for everyone who, who believes in you, God, that there are angels rejoicing, and we, we join in the rejoicing of anyone who has made a decision to follow after you and to, to receive you. And so I'm grateful for that, and I, God, I just, I pray that you would give them all they need to start this journey well, that you would give them the church and people to come alongside them, to help them and support them, and uh, uh, to teach them and disciple them. God, uh, do among us exactly what you seek to do, each of us individually, so that we might further reflect the love and good character of Jesus Christ and live for him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Listen, thank you so much uh, for being here. Um, I want to end with one challenge. If God did something unique in your life today, um, whatever that is, whether it be you prayed for salvation or you prayed for God to just overcome something in you that's been a long-standing frustration for you in your spiritual walk. I pray that you would just not let the week go without sharing it. I'm going to be right here. You can come up and tell me, and I'd love to pray with you and just hear a little bit about it uh, and then follow up with you for the, through the week. You can email myself, pastor, any of our pastors, you know, through the week. Um, we, we are open and accessible, and we want to come alongside you um, in whatever God is doing in your life. So if you would give us that opportunity, we would cherish it truly. Uh, but with all that said, we have other things going on here at FBN. We've got a golf scramble coming up to raise funds for uh, our student ministries. It's our big, biggest fundraiser that we do uh, for that cause. Um, and there's other things, right? Family nights, all this stuff. So just have a good summer. Keep us in mind, though. We, we're here for you, um, and we love you. So you are dismissed. Go with Christ. Thanks.